All right, all right, all right. To whoever, wherever, why ever you're listening, welcome to the Dudes Day podcast, where we talk to 20 and 30-something-year-old dudes about their unique perspectives on everyday topics and the lifestyle choices that come with them. Today is episode 15, uh, and the topic is politics. And my guest today is Sean Scanlon, who is the Democratic nominee for state representative in the 98th district of Connecticut that spans the towns of Guilford and Branford. And Sean's a, a buddy of mine from Boston College. And uh, as a state rep running at 27, we figured we could sit down and, and get a pers- fresh perspective on politics um, from this generation. A couple housekeeping items before I get into this. Um, we are available on iTunes now, the Dudes Day podcast. Um, all 15 episodes are up as of right now, uh, upon this release. And if you could help out by writing a review on iTunes, that, that helps us get, get noticed and get more notoriety, um, before the Tuesday dudes day website launch, which I'm going to say it now will happen on July 8th. So that way, uh, you know, put something out there. I think I'm going to be held accountable for it. So the website will launch in July, we're up on iTunes. You can get us on SoundCloud, and starting next week, we'll be available on Stitcher as well. So any platform you want to listen to this, I'm trying to be as accommodating as possible. Yeah, so thanks for that, and, and we'll, we'll fill you in with more stuff um, as we progress. So a little about the interview. Sean uh, joined us after a day out in the field um, in the Guilford area, knocking on doors, talking to um, – potential voters about what they find important and what the issues are um, that they want him to work on in the state legislature. Sean uh, brought us from his initial uh, exposure to politics when he had to do a book report on Bobby Kennedy back in high school. Um, He started calling around for local reps to get involved uh, in political campaigns even before college. Uh, and during college, did the same same thing. Uh, Post college, he worked for Chris Murphy, who's now in the uh, U.S. Senate, one of the youngest members of that. And he ran a community affairs for Chris Murphy. And in April, he announced that he'd be running for the state rep position in the 98th district. Uh, May accepted the Democratic nomination, and now he's in a whirlwind of first raising money, now knocking on doors and meeting people and getting votes um, for the election in November. So Sean brings us through that whole journey, and we talk a lot about just young people in politics, what that looks like, what the landscape is like, and especially in Connecticut where people are giving state um, state money if you raise a certain amount to run for state rep. So that eases the financial burden Um, of what it would take to run for politics in Connecticut. So let's hop right in. This is my conversation with Sean Scanlon. Yeah, so it really really all was a totally random thing. You know, I I did a book report in high school on Bobby Kennedy, and he was kind of my person to write a book report about for all these other historical figures in a social studies class. You just assigned it? Yeah, it was just randomly assigned by a teacher and I, I read this book about this guy and it totally changed my life because he was this guy who really cared about a lot of people that a lot of people in politics had never really talked about before and he was 
going to the inner city and having conversations about issues that people were ignoring. He was with American Indians out west. He was down south with rural poverty. And, uh, and I was totally taken by the fact that somebody would go out and fight for people who were totally different than themselves and totally different than where they had grown up. And so um, that book report totally, like, opened my eyes to the fact that there was so many needs in the country that were beyond what I was kind of seeing as a high school kid growing up in suburban Connecticut. And um, the week after I graduated high school, there was a book, uh, there was a newspaper article about this guy who had actually worked for Bobby Kennedy, who was going to run for the state Senate in Guilford. And uh, I called the guy up and I was working at Subway at the time. And I said, hey, man, like you work for my idol. I would love to to learn the ropes from you. And I'm 17. I don't know anything about anything. And uh, can you give me a job? And he said, absolutely. And so I, I followed him around all the, the whole summer between high school and college and, uh, and really kind of got my first taste of politics and never looked back since then. That's that's amazing. So kind of a serendipitous event. And then what pro- like what prompted you to actually give him a call? Like most most people wouldn't go and do that. Yeah, I mean, the, the honest truth is that I was working at Subway and I didn't want to be making sandwiches again all summer. I kind of wanted to do something a little more meaningful in my life. Yeah. And uh, it was just totally random that I, I read this article and, uh, you know, I, I saw that somebody had a connection to somebody who I just kind of learned to be a hero of mine and uh, figured I'd take the risk. And did you aim your particular studies in college after after politics or? Yeah, so I, I totally would. I totally, mind. Yeah, I totally got the bug uh, from that. I then proceeded to kind of read every single book I could ever find on, uh, you know, some of these, uh, you know, famous politicians, JFK, FDR, um, and, and kind of just learn from, from history of, of what these guys had all done besides Bobby Kennedy and uh, decided to study it in college. But, you know, really, you know, BC was great in terms of giving me an education on political theory and reading about John Locke and Hobbes and all these guys. But the, the most I learned in college was by actually volunteering on campaigns and working, uh, you know, in the Boston City Council part time and really kind of getting a hands dirty kind of approach to uh, to politics. OK, OK. Um, and what, what were those experiences like for you? Were you just like kind of just getting coffee, just listening in? Like on stuff, <laughs> a lot, a lot of coffee getting. Yeah. Uh, you know that that's the problem. I think with a lot of people, um, you know, who study politics and poli sci and government in school, you know, there's not too many opportunities for people to really play a big role in politics. It's the same with any field. You know, you, you got to start somewhere. You got to start small. Um, but those little interactions and, and getting coffee for a politician or you know, driving them around that's that's an entry level job that a lot of young people get right out of college or even during college, but when you get to spend time one-on-one with somebody for hours and hours a day, um, you know, you see them interact with people and people don't get elected to office because they're bad at this. They get elected because they have either natural talent or they're smart or they have something going on. And, you know, there's, there's always something to be learned from, even if it's not the sexiest opportunity for you as a, as a young person in politics. Right. right. Yeah. You can't build a government out of your, out of your dorm room, unfortunately, no. or your parents' <laughs> garage. No, bad. no. <laughs> So, okay. So, all right. So college behind you. Let's, let's walk through like, you know, do you go right to Connecticut? Do you go to Massachusetts? Do you just kind of just throw your resume out at whoever are you, these connections that you've built? Yeah. So, so what I did was, um, I, I really thought that I wanted to go to law school right out of school. And, um, I, I thought about is that, a com- is that a common thought that seems to be the common thought that you have to go to law school to do. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's, that's kind of what people have always said to me was, you know, if you want to go into politics, you should be a lawyer. 
Um, and I, I kind of thought about that, but I really honestly didn't want to be a lawyer. And uh, so I thought that I would try to go down to Capitol Hill. And funny enough, I literally sent my resume to every single member of Congress in Connecticut, <laughs> didn't hear a word back. Then I thought, well, you know, I had a BC poli sci professor who said, hey, there's a lot of BC alums in Congress. You should send him an email or a resume and say, I'm a BC graduate, about to graduate, would love to work for you. Crickets, again, didn't hear a single word back from anybody. And uh, I happened to get a job uh, from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And so uh, I went down there and I worked as a victim advocate for a year on homicide cases and domestic violence cases. And all the while, I thought that I would do that for about a year and then apply to law school and then go the next year. And uh, I totally didn't like the job at all. And I was very frustrated by some of the things that I was seeing there because I was working with the law. I wasn't trying to shape the law. And there was a lot of things that were very frustrating for me to watch as somebody who had no control over some of the things that I was working with. And I thought that. Yeah. Do you have do you have an example of that? Yeah, I mean, like the you know, domestic violence is is probably the best example of that. You know, I would sit down with people who had been you know chronically battered by their spouse or their boyfriend, and you know, they would say to me, "Okay, well, what what's next? What do I do? What how do I protect my kids? How do I get out of this situation?" And I would say to them, "Well, I'm sorry, but you know, to be honest with you, your, your husband or your boyfriend or whatever is about to get out of jail after two or three hours with little more than a parking ticket." Uh, and I promised to come back to court in a couple of weeks. And these people would say to me, well, Sean, how am I possibly going to do that? I mean, this just happened to me. And now he's coming back to my apartment. He's coming back to my house. Um, and it was very frustrating because there's nothing that I could say to them to try to ease their fears. Uh, and that's kind of when I decided that, you know, I wanted to actually work with laws and try to change laws that I thought were not good or create new laws that could actually help people and make a difference in their lives. Um, and you can really do that in a lot of different ways, but the best way to do that is to get involved in legislative politics. And, uh, and so I kind of called up the same guy that I called up when I was in high school, and I said, you know, Ed, you know, you're now in the state senate, and you used to be a state senator with this guy named Chris Murphy, who you know, is the youngest member of Congress. He was the youngest state senator. You know, this guy really seems like he's going places. Can you call him up and see if he has a job? And sure enough, he did. And, and there was a job opening. And uh, for the last five years, I've had the pre- pleasure of, uh, of working for this guy named Chris Murphy. And what, what are you learning from him during this time? Um, what groups do you have to work with and maybe, um, I don't know, bring together? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a, so my job is I'm the director of community affairs. And essentially what my job is to kind of go out into the community and learn about the issues that really matter to people and talk to people who have problems with the federal government and represent my boss when he's down in D.C. at public meetings and uh, working with constituents and other local elected officials on the problems that they have with the federal government. But, um, you know, Chris Chris has been uh, an incredible mentor for me to have uh, as a young person in politics because, you know, by and large, you know, he's the youngest member of the U.S. Senate right now. He's 40 years old. Uh, he was one of the youngest members of Congress. He was always the youngest state legislator. He got elected at 25 to be a state rep, 29 to be a state senator, 33 as a congressman. And so as a young guy looking to get my own uh, political career going, it's been incredible to kind of see how he's done it and been so successful and what it is that has allowed him to rise so quickly as a young uh, as a young guy. Uh-huh. And as you've uh, as you've worked with Chris and you have to go out into right your director of community affairs, what what are people talking to you like? What is the 
the range of topics that people will, will bring up to you or think that you can help them with or like what is on people's mind? It's, it, um, it's a curious very curious. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everything is on people's mind and that's why it's, it's such a cool job. You know, I wake up every day. Uh, no two days is the same thing. You know, you could go from a meeting about what's going on in Afghanistan to a meeting about what's going on in Ukraine to a meeting about a bunch of seniors who care about social security uh, to, a, you know, a veterans uh, home where we have, you know, down in West Haven, we have veterans who have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan who've got a lot of problems and need a lot of help. Uh, who are getting kind of that assistance and everything, um, you know, in the world that's going on is something the federal government has some sort of responsibility for. And uh, my boss always says the coolest part about being in politics is that you can walk outside any given day or log onto your computer and go onto a news website and see any article that's in there or a story that's in there and you can do something about it. And so, um, you know, I live my life like that. I learned that from him that, you know, every day I'm looking for ways that we can kind of get involved and make a difference in people's lives and try to make their lives a little easier. Is it by affecting businesses? Is it by affecting other groups? Like what, what can you do? You, and it, it seems um, to me like to get a bill passed through, through takes a, like a yeah. long time. Like the cha- like there must be frustration growing. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of frustration, and and some of the same frustrations that people see uh, and have looking at politics are the same frustrations you have in politics. So, you know, uh, people always say, you know, they're sick and tired of Democrats fighting with Republicans. Yeah. They're sick and tired of things not getting done. Um, it's the same thing when you're in politics, right? Uh, but we live in a society where we kind of embrace that fighting. And, you know, people watch Fox News because they want to see what's going on, on the right. And people watch MSNBC when they want to see what's going on, on the left. And we kind of revert back to our sides and we don't really necessarily meet in the middle. And that's kind of the problem, whether it's at the local level, the federal level, the state level, uh, where people are just kind of sick and tired of that. And they want to see I think some people that really want to go into public service, not just to get reelected or to have the most retweeted tweet when you attack a Republican uh, or the best cable news hit. They actually want to see people who are going to get in there and fight for them because that's at the end of the day what government should be doing. Well, how do you – so if you have – maybe on a local level, you guys are like carving out your space of people that are doing the good and all that. Like where does the media fall into – like – it just seems like the biggest, the heaviest hitters are on each, you know, MSNBC or Fox yeah. News, and they're getting all the attention all the time. And that very well, like, for me as a 20 cent, like, I don't have a lot of interaction with politicians in the area, right? I'm going to go. Yeah. I mean, our generation can go find other, sent, you know, sources of news or information online. But for the people that, like, are just turning tuning into television sure. or some sort of older medium like it seems like they just commandeered that and that's it's just a blanket stance one way or the other the media the media plays a a very large role in politics because people get information and and unfortunately what you see now is that there's a tremendous distrust for factual evidence um and you know democrats like to point to facts and then there are some people who would say well those can't really be facts those are democratic facts and the same thing happens on the right and so what we've lost kind of as people get news from various different sources. I mean, if you 50 years ago, you know, a guy like Walter Cronkite was the voice of America 
And everybody, whether you were a Democrat, Republican, or independent, or whatever, would turn on TV at night and you would listen to somebody like Walter Cronkite. And when he told you something, you accepted that as fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then maybe you would debate what he said as a Democrat, uh, as a Republican, but you at least agreed that the media was telling you the truth about something and that was something you could trust. Now, um, you know, there's so many ways that people get information, especially our generation, um, you know, where you probably don't. Most people who are 25, 26, 27 probably don't turn on the local news every night at 5 o'clock and watch what's going on. They're getting information from Twitter. They're getting it from Facebook. They're getting it from Reddit. Um, You know, they're getting it from, you know, emails that their friends might have them. You're not getting it from a validated source. And so, therefore, it becomes very difficult for you to actually approach a conversation about something because if I go to you and say, hey, listen, you know, on the news the other night, I heard this. Well, somebody say, well, what news are you watching? Yeah. And if, you're, if I say, well, it was MSNBC, they'd say, well, that's because it's MSNBC. It's liberal. It's tainted. Uh, so it's very hard to have rational political discourse when you can't even agree on the facts that you're fighting over. Yeah, I've never heard somebody like a Democrat say, OK, well, here's the parts of the Republican argument that are correct. Right. right. There would never be that. Right. It's always like a boom, 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 like an immediate bash. And like no one would ever talk to each other like that in real life right. because you wouldn't. Right. It would be a standstill and you'd never talk to that person again. Um, so like yeah. how like how do you ha- how are you repro- approaching people from the other party to like say, OK, like 90 percent of our what we're going for are exactly the same. Like, why can't we admit that? And then somehow meet up like i mean it's a simple question that's yet to be solved but yeah man maybe if, you if maybe I, you can solve it sean yeah, yeah. If, if i had the answer i'd probably be running for president yeah. or something right um uh, you know in, in my campaign you know all i can do is kind of focus on what i can control um and what i can control is the fact that you know the district that i'm running for has about thirty thousand people that live in it and that is a district made up of democrats of republicans of independents um, and, you know, so what I've kind of do is taken a unique approach to this. I don't go out there every day and talk about myself and talk about the issues that I care about. I mostly go out there to listen. Um, and one of the things that I've done in my campaign is to create what I'm calling the to-do list, which is a, a list that I carry around with me every single day. Um, and what I kept hearing from families and why I kind of did this is because you know, a family would say to me, you know, I talk to a mom and a dad or a husband and wife, and they'd say, you know what drives me nuts about politics is that Every family in my family has a to-do list, and we got to buy our kids new sneakers. We got to go to the mall. We got to go to the grocery store, and we check those things off and we do those things. And in politics, whether it's in Hartford or whether it's in Washington, they kind of have that list, and then they fight about them, and then they just never do anything on the list. Um, and I joke around with people is that like when you fight with your wife about whether you're going to get Nike or Reebok sneakers for your kids. You don't just fight and fight and fight about that and then just never get any sneakers. You just figure it out. Um, And too often, politicians from both sides of the aisle don't ever just figure it out. They fight. They rally their base. They get their base mad at the other side. And they just don't address the issues that we have to address. And I think that people don't live their lives like that. That's not real life. And uh, so my goal is to kind of get those ideas from both sides of the aisle and then really go up to Hartford, hopefully, if I'm lucky enough to get elected, and have conversations about issues, whether they're good ideas or bad ideas. It's the ideas that people care about here. Right, right. So you you couldn't have been good at this from the get-go, and probably if you get elected, you're, there's going to be moments where, like, you kind of, I don't know, like, it's, it's, it's a learning to speak the speak 
right? So like you want to walk walk me through like some of the beginning parts, like working for Chris's campaign, where maybe you like flubbed something or failed or something. Like what like what did you learn? Because you have you have to fail to to succeed and get stuff. Yeah, right? you know polit- politics is a is like any other field, um, and you know there's a there's a bit of a microscope under you in the sense that when you make mistakes in politics, your life is very public. Um, and so, you know, younger people sometimes, especially in our generation, are going to maybe find it a little difficult to be involved in politics because we grew up in and went to college and made boneheaded decisions in the era of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Right. Um, That's definitely something, yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where there's definitely, you know, stuff out there about you that's online that you might not even know about um, that may come up against you. And, and politicians that are obviously in their 60s and 70s don't have to worry about that because right. there was no camera and there was no thing that was capturing the stupid things that they did and so they, um, they sent all the people that knew stuff to like an island just, yeah. <laughs> just segregated. so you know so part of um part of part of this where it becomes difficult is that you know you you have to learn mistakes and you have to make mistakes because that's how you get better at anything in life um but the harder part about politics is that you're under a microscope constantly and so um, you know, if I say something stupid here in this interview, um, uh, and this goes out in public and, you know, somebody takes a, a 30 second snapshot of what I said and takes it out of context, um, you know, I could be in trouble for that. But I think that people really want to see honest people. Yeah. Um, and you know, people don't want to just talk in talking points and they want people who are real and kind of open up to them. And that's a challenge because you're always afraid that what you're going to say is the wrong thing and that somebody's going to use it against you. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world <laughs> to like to be acting out of fear constantly like how does yeah. like that's that's why that's why like third world countries can't like build anything up because they're worrying about their food or that they're gonna right. die like right. but, and so you need to the safety to know like okay if i screw up like it's gonna be okay because I'll, I'll be able to atone for those mistakes like are we don't you feel like we're done? We're we're ending with the perfect-looking politician, like the squeaky clean. Like we have yeah. to be ending with that at, at some point. Like there's there's got to be something that you, you can because it's okay to just be like, I, I screwed up. Like it's all right. Like right. and own it from right. the get go and like get ahead of everything. Like aren't we? Well, somebody 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 said to me the other day that. Uh, you know, it's funny that, you know, Johnny Manziel was over in, you know, I don't know where he was in Vegas or something with Gronkowski. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were like at a pool shot with like 25 beautiful young girls in bathing suits. And they were like kind of doing like, you know, these signs and whatever. And, and all these people were saying, oh, well, Manziel is immature. He's stupid. But at the end of the day, the next day, nobody's going to say Johnny Manziel can't be the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns because he got posted a picture with yeah. him and a bunch of girls. Right. In politics, is a little bit different. Obviously, I'm not going to go out and do stuff like that because I'm not an NFL player. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you can't live that make, lifestyle. No, definitely not. When you make a, when you make a mistake in politics, that could be the end of your career. If Johnny Manziel says a bunch of dumb things and gets you know post pictures with him and rappers and goes on spring break and 
you know, does stuff like that. He can live to do other things. And politics puts more pressure on you uh, because one mistake and you could be done. And that's where it's a little bit different in terms of being in the public eye. Now, granted, I'm running for state rep. I'm not running for president of the United States. So if I make a mistake and be on TV, it's not going to be on the front page of the paper. Um, but you still have to, to live uh, in which people are watching what you're doing, looking for you to make a mistake so that can be used against you at all, all times. Um, and it is pretty pressure-filled. Yeah, man. Why would you want? Why would you want to be a part of that? <laughs> That's can, so. Like with these, it seems like a lot of people who <laughs> who might have gone into politics maybe are going into like the so- social entrepreneur route or some sort of way of like reforming business so it has a social impact as well. Yeah, and they don't get like it's almost like they found like the loophole very perplexing. It's it's not an enviable position to be in, but I mean somebody's got to got to do it well somebody's got to do it and you can do a lot of great stuff um and you know one of the things that i think has happened to our generation is that um you know i was i was a political nerd right i, I got into this stuff when i was 16 and i've liked it forever uh, but in 2008 when obama was running for the first time you know it was the greatest feeling in the world to have all these people that were friends of mine asked me about barack obama and they wanted to get involved and they thought this guy was really cool and he was going to do all this great stuff Mm -hmm. um and you know everybody it seemed like i knew in the world voted for barack obama in 2008 and helped him out and was like posting stuff about him on facebook and twitter um and then what happened was that you know barack obama had incredible expectations upon him and everybody thought that he was going to kind of walk on water and then guess but he's just a guy. Yeah. He's just a politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people were disappointed by him. Um, and, and some people even walked away from politics because of that. And now you don't see anywhere near the level of engagement for young people that you did in 2008. And there was an article uh, about a month ago in The New York Times about, you know, you know, when JFK was president, you know, this whole generation, the you know, the of the new frontier got involved. They ran for office. They joined government. They got involved where they were from. And Obama, you know, a lot of people that worked for Obama have not really run for office. And it was kind of talking about this guy who was running for state Senate in Massachusetts, who's my age, who worked for Obama uh, for a while. And, um, you know, I kind of dismissed the notion that that's because people are afraid of what we were just talking about with the Johnny Manziel factor of, of making those mistakes. I think that some people in our generation are just so impatient uh, because we're used to instant gratification that the idea of politics is so, you know, uh, turned off to them because they feel like you can't really get things done very easily. And so it's it's why would you even try to do it? Um, and I think that that's a mistake. I think that young people definitely need to be involved in politics and should be involved in politics. They just have to understand that it's not perfect and you're not going to accomplish everything you want to do in one day. You have to have patience and you got to play the long game. And those who play the long game in public service are the ones who can affect the most change because they learn the system, they learn the ropes, they learn to figure out what works and what doesn't, and then they can ultimately be successful. Yeah, yeah. I I had a um, a kid from Bangalore, India on um, the other day, and we were just talking about um, – you know his observation of America. You know he get, he's going to get his stuff from like the Daily Show and even out there. You know it reaches it reaches over there and, and the bickering that goes on and and the thing that seems to come up not just there but in a bunch of conversations is that like nobody really has nobody has that JFK like okay we're, guys we're going to the moon um, right. everyone get on board right and nobody's looking up like an Elon Musk would right now right, right? saying like 
they're, they're, they're imaginative enough to be like, okay, we're not just going to put Band-Aids on something. We're not going to try to win. Our, our, our sights aren't set on the two or four years ahead of us right. to win an election. It's like for the betterment of like literally every person here, we're going to make yeah. this a national goal. And, and like right. where, where is that? <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 the question, right? I mean, uh, in India, for example, I mean, they just had this huge election about a week or so ago, and uh, and in the election, a lot of young people were backing this guy named Modi, who was uh, the leading opposition politician in India, and, and he went around the country talking about how they needed to improve their infrastructure in India in order to create jobs. And so, um, you know, the single biggest issue for younger people is usually jobs because they want to get out of college, they have a lot of debt, and they want to find a good job that they can use to then leverage to either start a business, start a company, start a startup, raise a family, do all these things. And so there was this groundswell of young Indians that got behind this guy, Modi, and he actually won the election and and deposed the ruling party who's essentially ruled India since the days of Gandhi. Um, It's called the Congress Party. And so, um, you know, I don't know that we have a figure like that that's going to emerge in our in our political system. I think that Obama was the closest thing we are going to have to that. Right. Um, but I think that the lesson here has got to be that you don't necessarily need a figure like that to do those things. You can get involved, you know, wherever you're at, at any level of government, and you can try to affect that change. You don't need some sort of, like, demagogue figure to get behind. You can be that figure. It doesn't mean that you're going to be famous like Barack Obama. It just means that you get involved with your community and try to make a difference. For me, I always thought like educa- like the smarter people are, the more informed they are. And I just, yeah. had a, I just had a guy on who talked about travel as a means of overcoming fear, becoming more educated, uh, become, becoming more of a worldly person and whoever's population is more traveled and gets more experience. That that can only benefit um, them. Like what are this one education, but then two, like pretty much everything else. Like how do you keep track of, of all the things that you have to, 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 to look at? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, education is a really good example first and foremost, because uh, you know, the district that I'm running and we have, you know, the two towns have incredible school systems. You know, you're probably graduating 90 to 95% of the kids, um, every year. And, uh, most of them are, are destined for some sort of higher education, whether it's a community college or a four-year college. Um, and you know, for a long time, you know, we, we thought that that was good enough, right? Um, we, we thought that, you know, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to college and, you know, you lived on this assumption that when you're in school, your teachers were always saying, well, you need to study hard because, you can go to college, and if you go to college, your whole life is fine. Um, and I think that in America today, we're learning that a college degree doesn't necessarily guarantee you the success that it would have 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, as somebody who's representing, hopefully, uh, if I get elected, a district that has uh, some great school systems, the question then becomes, okay, well, what can we do to not just make sure that our kids can pass these tests and get AP course credits and then go to a good college? It's are we preparing them to enter the 21st century global economy and the 21st century college uh, you know, market when they're going to not just be competing from kids from the town next to them or the kids within their high school, but competing from people from across the whole world for not only a chance to get into college, but to get a job? Um, and that, to me, is something that I think, to your point, is very important. But how do you keep track of all of it? It's all about listening to people. Um, you know, In politics, you try to 
get a sense of as many issues as you can, but you're never going to know as much as somebody who dedicated their whole life to this one issue. Right. Yeah. And Uh, so do you like, you have to, you know, create a community of people that you lean upon for, for, you know, information and advice. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have a, a, peop, a team of people who, who I talk to regularly about different issues that are very connected within those worlds. So whether it's education, the environment, um, you know, the economy, small business owners, um, you know, I try to just try to get the most basic knowledge about as many issues as I possibly can. And then as things come up, um, you know, you, the, the biggest thing in politics and, and one of the reasons that I think people are afraid to necessarily sometimes run for office, especially as young people, is because they feel like they have to know everything to run for office. Mm-hmm. Every elected official in this country does not know everything about Possibly. every issue. Right. Uh, you, you can't do it. Um, what you need to do is to be able to be a good listener and to know how to get information when you need information. And part of the responsibility of a legislature or a legislator and somebody who's good at being a legislator is somebody who's willing to ask for help. Um, and so every day when I go out and talk to people, um, you know, I, I always tend to ask people what they do for a living. Um, or if they're retired, I ask them what they did for a living. And nine times out of ten, they, they tell me something it's a profession that I don't really know a lot about. And I just ask them, well, tell me a little bit about what the most important things were to you or are to you. Um, and, you know, just tonight I was talking to somebody who was in dental scrubs. Um, and I said, do you mind if I ask her, you know, are, are you a dentist? She said, no, I'm a dental hygienist. And I said, well, well, tell me about the issues that are important to dental hygienists. And, of course, she said, I would love to. And she launched into about 20 minutes of of uh, issues that are important to dental hygienists that, you know, I normally would have no knowledge of, but now uh, with her help, I kind of am aware of some of the top three or four issues that she's facing. And I'm going to go and then later on tonight, read more about the stuff that she gave me. So that's how you do it. That's yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good, but you got to be resourceful, right? It's like, (laughs) there's a, (laughs) what is it? The dark night where they turn every, uh, every cell phone into like a radio transmitter or something like that. You're like, you're turning on every person around you and getting as much, much yeah. info in the shortest amount of time okay so run me through like how this this state rep like election goes like how long out um are we what's that process going to be like we're uh we're, we're five minutes from uh we're five months from tomorrow so tomorrow is five months uh from election day election day is november 4th uh 2014 uh, I accepted the Democratic nomination on May 20th. I announced I was running on April 4th. Uh, so, you know, these things are a tight turnaround time. They're, they're seven or eight months tops. And, um, you know, the, the district is 30,000 people. Connecticut actually has a great program, um, which is very, you know, helpful to young people, um, which is called public financing. So to run for office in Connecticut, to run for state rep, you need to raise $5,000 in small donations between $5 and $100 from at least 150 people who live in your district. And uh, if you do that successfully, the state gives you about $27,000 of public money uh, to go and run your campaign. So, you know, a lot of times in politics, people don't want to run for office because they're like, oh, my God, I would rather do anything in the world than sit in a room all day and call my friends for money. Um, And so in Connecticut, you know, I finished that in four days. Um, my opponent did it in a similar amount of time. And then for the next seven months, I don't have to worry about money. All I have to worry about is going out there and meeting people, learning about issues 
and I will never have to call anybody and ask them for money. Um, and that makes a big difference because elections uh, and, and money are a huge problem in our country. Um, and, you know, my boss ran for the U.S. Senate last year, two years ago in 2012, and he ran against Linda McMahon, who had spent Just $50 infinite, billion. Infinite, yeah. infinite amount of money. She had spent $50 million in 2010 to run for Senate. She spent another $50 million in, 20, in 2012 against him. And he would spend anywhere between five to six hours a day for two years uh, sitting on the phone raising money. And he raised $10 million, but that was a, a 600-day effort mm-hmm. to get to that point. And he was still outspent five to one by her, and she did that with the stroke of a pen. Um, so, you know, politics uh, really is determined by money at the federal level. But luckily in Connecticut, we have this program that allows young people to run. And that's why there are so many young people in politics in Connecticut. You know, there's about five to ten legislators that are in their 20s right now out of the 151 uh, members of the House of Representatives. And that's really, if you ask them, it's because they didn't have to worry about raising big dollars because young people just can't do that. And as as a uh, – are you 28 or 27? 27, 27. yeah. Okay. Ah, same age. Look at that. Um, so as a 27-year-old, like how, how are you – how do you relate to like – or even the other people um, of our generation? How are we relating to people that might have been in – in politics for God knows like 50 plus years. And just, uh, I feel like our thought processes are different. Like what we care about are different. And I don't know, just getting that spectrum of knowledge and the, yeah. the being, to being able to relate. Yeah. To those I, guys. I think, I think everyone in politics kind of understands that it's very cyclical in nature. Um, and people that are now, you know, on their 10th term or their 12th term or something, probably got elected when they were my age or around there. And so, you know, the, the, the greatest irony of politics is that sometimes when you're the young gun, you know, you may be a, an incumbent that's been around for a long time uh, and you feel really good about that. But in 10 years, some other kid just like you that's your age is going to come along and beat you just yeah. because that's kind of the way it is. Um, so I think that people um, in politics itself and in the legislature, obviously I'm not there yet, but just from working with it, I think that people respect young people in politics in the sense that they know that they, everybody's got to start somewhere. Um, and, and they like to see younger people because they bring a, do, a, a different perspective to this. Um, you know, you pair up with like an elder statesman yeah, and then – Yeah, you, you got you to gotta have, have role models. You got to have mentors, you know. Um, I think a lot of young people make a mistake sometimes of, of again, back to that patience thing. You know, you, it's it's really hard to uh, go into any field, whether it's business, politics, entertainment, uh, and just act like you know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got to listen to people who have been doing the job for a long time, learn what they did that worked, and learn what they did that didn't work, um, and and really kind of take the lessons from there. But Politics is changing in a way because, you know, back in the day in politics, you had to work your way up to run for office. And, um, you know, you would maybe start out at the local level, then run for state office. Then maybe if you were really, really lucky and really well connected, you could run for federal office or statewide office. Um, Now, you know, because the parties are not as strong as they once were uh, and the process is way more open to the public, People that are young can take a chance and run for office that maybe they would not have been able to do 40 or 50 years ago and win and then get in there and actually make a difference quickly. You know, there's a joke that, uh, you know, in the U.S. Senate, in your first term, which is six years long, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be seen but not heard from. And they didn't (laughs) – back back in the day, you know, you would never – 
you would you would never be on the floor speaking. You'd never be on TV shows. You would be there maybe for twelve or eighteen years before you even did anything of of consequence. Um, and then you take someone like my boss, right, uh, who got elected in twenty twelve and was representing Newtown, Connecticut. Um, when the Sandy Hook tragedy happened. Um, and he got to the Senate, and within the first month of him being there, uh, even though he was the youngest member and he was the newest member, he was playing a national role in trying to pass the national gun reform bill. On the other side, you have someone like Ted Cruz, who is also a freshman, uh, who is now a leading contender to be a presidential candidate in 2016 and was able to draw so much attention to himself and really rally uh, Republicans naturally around the cause that he cares about as somebody who had just been in the Senate for less than a couple months. So, um, you know, people that are there for a short period of time can make a big impact. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to get seniority now to do things, but you always have to listen to people and learn from their mistakes and learn what works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So say you, say you get in and get elected, like what, what is the state legislator controlling or what effect do they have um, and like maybe name one to two major topics or issues within Connecticut that's going on. Um, yeah, well, well the, or the, that, they've, the, that they've accomplished recently. Well, you know, the, the the problem the problem is that you know there are so many things like you said that that can be debated, and and every single legislator comes to the table with a couple of things that they really care about. Like for example, I really care about education issues because I feel like very fortunate to have grown up in this community and been the first person to go to college. So education is, is the thing that I would really like to work on there. But, you know, you can't always just work on your priority. You've got to work on the priorities of the people who sent you there. And you're dealing with things that are happening in the news. So, for example, again, Sandy Hook is a great example. Um, you know, the entire legislative session of 2013 was pretty much dedicated to passing uh, you know, the most comprehensive gun law in the United States because of a tragedy that happened right here in Connecticut. So, you know, a lot of legislators that probably got elected in 2012 went to, to you know, office on day one thinking they were going to try to do all these things and sponsor all these bills and talk about these things. But sometimes, you know, the world has a way of, of focusing politicians' attention on an issue that's really important to people, and, and they spend a lot of time on that. So, you know, um, for me, uh, you know, the single biggest thing that I hear every single day when I'm knocking on doors is our property tax system here in Connecticut. Um, and it's something that hurts every sort of generation. It hurts our generation because, you know, they can't necessarily afford to come back to Connecticut, buy a home, mm-hmm. get married and start a small business or get or get a good paying job. It hurts our grandparents' generation who can't afford to stay here anymore. They're going to try to look somewhere else. They're going to downsize. And then pretty much everybody else in the middle is just getting squeezed by the fact that there aren't enough young people coming back here and the seniors are leaving. And so we have kind of an unsustainable problem uh, that strikes to the very core of everything because property taxes – you know, determines how you're going to buy a house and what you're going to do, but it also is the way we fund education in Connecticut. So, you know, the state maybe gives 10% of every education budget in the state. 90% of the rest of the budget uh, in Guilford, for example, is a $50 million a year school budget every year. That's funded exclusively through property taxes. Um, and for as long as we continue to do it that way, we're really going to be hurting ourselves. Um, and it's, it's something that people look at when they think about moving to Connecticut. They say, oh, my God, 
why would I ever want to come there? The property tax situation is out of control. Um, so for me personally, as a young guy, um, I would love to get in there and try to have a debate about what we can do about this to change this because I think it will help our generation, but it will help every generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, two more questions. Yeah. Basically based on kind of our, our generation. One being like, do you th- – I mean there's – that one's going to affect a lot of people and that could be dealt with like right now. But the things like – the the larger the large scale uh, issues that are debated throughout the country like like you know gun laws like um, I mean before this like uh, you know same sex marriage do you think a lot of them I have a feeling that a lot of them are like generational right you need that whole new generation of people to come in and completely overthrow it as yeah. opposed to just like you know changing little bits so do you feel like there there are issues like that where just the whole generation just is fed up and completely does it so it's only a matter of time like that i mean i mean cli- climate change has to be one of them right I mean, that's, right, right that that's got to be the issue that i think is the next thing to you know no no, no person when i've uh, i've knocked on about 1200 doors so far not one single person has said well where do you stand on gay marriage we're over that that mm-hmm. that's happened like right. we we, that's that's an accepted part of society that both parties agree upon for the for the most part, at least in Connecticut. Right. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, we're talking at a political issue, right? Like, not as course. a personal issue, like that, we still have a lot to go country yeah. country wise, but of course. like for the political spectrum. But my, my point is that you know, ten years ago, if I was running for state rep in Connecticut, people would ask me about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the attitudes have changed because people have kind of decided that. Um, you know, whether it's through personal maturity or through factual information that they've been provided, that that really isn't an issue that they should care about. Mm-hmm. Climate change, I think, is the next issue that really has to be discussed at a level um, of every level in government. Because whether you're a local government official or a president of the United States, you could have an impact on climate change. And there are things that you can do to be more responsible uh, about this issue that is affecting you know the entire world that we yeah. live in. Right. Uh, how do you not become like? How do you not become frustrated with somebody who may come off as very? It's just a lack of information, right? And a and a, and a uh, desire not to be open minded for yeah. the people that don't have like just refuse it at every yeah. ounce, like at at the base yeah. level. Like, no, this cup can't possibly be happening. Right. Like, how do you? I don't know. Like, do you just chip, chip away bit by bit? Do you pull- yeah, I think I think I think you chip away, and, and this kind of goes back to where we originally started this off, right? Is that it becomes very hard to have productive, pragmatic, rational conversations with people about issues because if I knock on somebody's door and I talk about climate change and how I would love to address that issue at the state legislature, and they say to me, "Well, how do you? How can you prove to me that climate change is happening?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, and right? I, like, how can you well, deal I with can, that person? I can send you. I can send you study after study that shows that you do this, and then they kind of look at that and say, "Well, this is done by these liberal scientists right. and things like that." Um, but I think it's it's finding common ground, and I think at the end of the day, that's how anything gets done in politics. And you know, you may not be able to convince everybody of everything. And when I was 16 years old and I first got into this, I was really super motivated by the fact that George Bush was president, and I pretty much disagreed with everything that guy was doing, mm-hmm. um, and I was really fired up about that. 
And I thought that I could convince every single person in the world that George Bush was wrong about every single issue. Um, and I had a rude awakening in the sense that uh, you're never going to do that in politics. There's never going to be complete agreement on everything that's there. You can only try to give your perspective and find common ground to meet somebody halfway. And so, um, you know, on climate change, maybe the studies from scientists from Yale and Harvard, MIT won't do that. But if I say to the person, well, listen, Right here in Guilford, in the last two years, we've had two tremendous hurricanes that have wreaked havoc on our community and cost businesses millions of dollars. It had homeowners flee from their houses, a lot of property damage, a lot of tax dollars went to this. That kind of storm has become the new normal in our society. And you don't need to read an MIT study or talk to a Harvard professor to know that these things are happening more frequently. And the reason that they're happening more frequently is because something is going on in the world that's causing them to happen. And then people kind of say, well, yeah, I guess that does make sense because I've lived here my whole life and I've never seen those kind of storms. There you go. Yeah. Um, And then you kind of see a light bulb go off a little bit. And you may not walk away from them having convinced them that climate change is happening, but you have at least found some sort of common ground that you could at least have a rational discussion in. Yeah, there's some empathy, like there's empathy back and forth and and an understanding of one another. Gotcha. Absolutely. Good, good. Um, and I guess the, the final thing is just like um, as as a younger generation, like where, what's the best way to, to obtain informa- information? Like how do you – like I feel isolated even though like I have a bunch of friends like who are lawyers and who are right. doing stuff. Like I just feel that um, – I don't know. There isn't enough very – I don't want to say dumbed down, but like basic infor- – people can feel overwhelmed at the amount of stuff yeah. that's out there. Like where do you just get basic information? You know, um, in, in Connecticut, we have this website called the Connecticut Mirror, which it was started by a bunch of journalists from a various different like mainstream media news sources in Connecticut like the Hartford Current, New Haven Register, um, who came together for a nonprofit news organization um, that really gets kind of in-depth – look at some of the issues that are facing Connecticut. They unbiased, do, both, you know, bipartisan. Unbiased, yeah. Un- unbiased news, and, and they take, like, long, hard looks at issues that people don't really talk about, and they kind of dig deep into numbers, and they dig deep into trends. And, and, um, and I, know, think so that, I think so I found that's that the, there's a lot of local people like that. that yep. are, I think that's the thing, that they're – the the stuff that actually matters gets talked about either rarely or it's a screaming match, right? There's not like, right. okay, let's just lay this out, let's not raise our voices, and uh, <laughs> and let's 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 figure something. There there right. literally there's so few forums right. for that. And I think you you have to you have to find um, you know you have to find what's going on. Uh, from people that you can trust. And if you find the, the news that you're looking for or the factual information that you're looking for, keep relying on that source and try to right. find new sources of things. Um, and the mainstream media, you don't always get the most in-depth answer because a lot of what they're covering is generated by ad revenue. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, you, you can turn on CNN and for literally one month, they were focused on the Malaysian plan. Um, and I don't, like, begrudge them for doing that because there's a lot of people that died in that plane crash. Um, but when you spend all your time focusing on the things that are going to sell ad time or sell content and celebrities and things like that, you lose 
um, some of the the things that people really care about. And so, I mean, I get a lot of information from Twitter. Um, I, I love it. I think it's a great resource. I follow a lot of news organizations. I try to follow people who are talking about interesting things and from different sectors and you know, that's how I think you learn a lot, but you've got to be open to ideas. Yeah, the exposure to things outside your 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 normal day-to-day routine or even your own – like, yeah, look at both sides. Like, look at all of it. And it, people just – a lot of people just aren't – oh, I mean, I think, I think as younger people, we're more open to that. But, um, yeah. you know, yeah. people can – it's 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 very easy now to just silo yourself and then – and that's it for you. So. Right. Well, yeah, man. Uh, usually, I ask people if they have anything to plug. So if you you can <laughs> you, well, can, you can give a if you uh, if you happen to live in the town of Guilford or Brantford, <laughs> Connecticut, uh, I would love to have your support on November fourth. But in general, you know, I would just say that um, nothing makes me happier than seeing other young people run for office and get involved in the political process. Um, you don't necessarily have to run. But just get involved. Get to know the people who are running in your area. Get to know the people that are your elected officials and challenge them. I mean, if you if you believe that, you know, you want something to happen, don't be afraid to pick up the phone, send an email, tweet back at somebody and challenge them uh, on what they're doing, because that's the way that we're going to change things. If we hold people accountable and we call people out on things and we try to make them better representatives we will have a better government. And that's what I think people want to see, and especially young people uh, want to feel like something is happening, but we have to do that ourselves. We can't just expect that it's going to happen. Yeah, very good. Good, good way to end it. Very, very true. All right, thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs>